welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday normal rhythms of life. Gentlemen, would you introduce yourselves today? How's it going, Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director? Joel Bickford, Deacon of Worship. And Rob Spikes, Pastor of Discipleship. All right, it's good to be back with you guys today. We're doing a follow-up podcast from our uh, podcast that we did on studying scripture. And we're going to talk about some of the common, what we're calling defeater beliefs. And what a defeater belief is, is it's it's a something you believe to be true, and therefore it um, enables you to not do something else, okay? So sure. let's say you believe that you are incapable of bench pressing a certain amount. If you believe that to be true, then when you get on that weight, you're probably not going to be able to do it, right? Mm. Because you believe something to be true. Now, that might be wrong, right? We're calling mm-hmm. it a defeater belief because it it de- it defeats your belief that you can study scripture. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and so we want to talk about just a, a few common defeater beliefs, things that people believe that keeps them from studying scripture. Mm-hmm. Right? We talked about last time how um, studying scripture brings all kind of benefits to our life. It's kind of like mining for gold or mining for jewels. And if you just scratch the surface, you, you might be able to find some things, but the deeper you go, the more work you put in, the more you're going to get out of it. Yeah. Right. And so guys, what are, what's one of the, what's, what's a common defeater belief to studying scripture? It's too difficult. It's too hard. It's just too hard. Rob, what would you say to somebody who says, man, I, I want to study scripture, but it's just too hard. Well, I think the first thing I would, would ask is just find out, uh, you know, ask a few questions. One is, what are you doing in terms of currently, what are you doing to study Scripture to find out, you know, what how they're getting at it? Because in one sense, it's it's like anything. You've got to just start ju- diving into it and start doing the normal processes of sp- of learning. So if I want to, if I want to learn about something that I'm interested in, I will start reading about it or read it um, on it. And so I'll just start, you know, kind of diving, diving into it. So I'd be curious to know what they first start with and, you know, what they're trying to do initially. Yeah. yeah. The Bible, w- along with it's too hard is it's pretty intimidating. Yeah. That's a big book. It is. It, <laughs> you know? Definitely if you got the King James. So yeah. you got to start with the material. Well, yeah. What kind of material Man, do you have? Yeah, there you that's go. A right. great, that's a great example because, yeah. yeah, if you've got your grandmama's old Bible that yeah. they handed down to you and you pull it out and mm. it's in the King James Version, you're going to be scratching your head. Yeah. yeah. Like, first because, sentence. Yeah, first <laughs> sentence. And so sometimes I recommend that, like, when when people are studying Scripture or, re, or reading Scripture, maybe, now this isn't all the time, but maybe you start with, a paraphrase hmm. translation like the New Living Translation. Sure. And I don't really recommend the message very much, but um, the New Living Translation, it is a thought-for-thought thought translation rather than a word-for-word. Word. So when you translate from the Greek or from the Hebrew word-for-word, word, you're going to get a more accurate translation, but it's going to be more clunky, yeah. right? And it's not going to flow as well, and it, it's, it's going to be harder to understand. But if you have a thought-for-thought thought translation like the New Living Translation, it's going to be it's going to help you read it better. Yeah. And I, so we're talking about studying scripture, but that goes hand in hand with reading scripture. So I would say for someone, if they're just getting into it, get a thought for thought translation for your Bible reading mm-hmm. and then get a word for word for your Bible study. Mm-hmm. And if you put them side by side, it's going to really help you mm-hmm. understand scripture. That's right? good. So probably then the next thing you'd be 
thinking about is where are you studying? What book yeah, are you oh, studying? Goodness, so, you yes. know, let's, let's, you don't want to start in Leviticus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you really right. want to go someplace in the New Testament, yeah. most likely. Yeah. And so, and I don't, so many people start in Genesis and it's, and it's a lot of stories, but then that you do get into some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you start in Genesis, it's totally fine to start in Genesis, but you're not going to understand how this fits into the whole thing because it's a lot of familial stories. It's a lot of stories about families and patriarchs. And you're going to be like, and if you're, you got, you know, you came to faith and you know, everything's about Jesus. You're going to be reading, uh, you know, about Jacob and, and you're like, how, what does yeah. this have to do? <laughs> Where's with, Jesus in all of yeah, this, Yeah, what right? does this have to do with anything? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, wait, they've, they've got multiple wives, you know, like you're going to be really confused. So yeah, where you study mattered. So if you're a newer believer, man, now is a great time. Just start in John. Yeah. Start yeah. in the gospel of John and mm-hmm. just read the gospel in John over and over and over. And then um, start studying a text, right? Or, or, or break, you know, work, work on a small section of scripture mm-hmm. with maybe a uh, thought for thought and then maybe a word for word ESV study Bible or something along those lines. And I think like picking them, John, I mean, we're going through um, the gospel of John as a sermon series. Um, so I had my boys start there as well and take notes and some of the stuff they got from it and, and then compare to what they hear on Sunday. Uh-huh. So then it's just a great conversation to kind of walk through um, what they're actually seeing compared to what's what the message is being delivered. Yeah, so one thing, it's too difficult. When you see like what myself or Rob does uh, or Alex does on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, you can go, man, I, I don't know if I can do that. I, 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 that's, that seems really difficult. Well, that's like walk, watching, you know, the tour de France and seeing these bicycle riders and going, Oh my gosh, I could never, I, yeah. I could never do that. Right. We've been doing it for, you know, 20 plus 30 plus years. Right. right? So we've been do- doing it for a lot longer. So we have a better proficiency, but mm-hmm nearly everyone can ride a bike, yeah. right? If, if you're looking mm. at like bike racing, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. You, 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 you might not reach that level yet, but you, everybody, nearly everyone can ride a bike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is difficult. And it guess, guess what? It's too difficult for me, you know, it's like, hard. because we're studying the words of God. Yeah. So you can literally, he's inexhaustible. So we can never get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. And so you can never squeeze this sponge dry. There's mm-hmm. always more there. So yeah. It is too difficult and just embrace it and, and just learn to get on the bike. And just like when you're learning to ride a bike, you're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have some accidents, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're going to screw things up and that's totally okay. You just get back on the bike and, and keep pedaling, right? Keep working on it. Yeah. It makes me think about how most things in life, uh, now we can make things difficult for no good reason. We can make things that don't need to be as difficult as they are just by not (laughs) not being good at it, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Actually, most things in life that are difficult to do actually probably mean that there's more reward on the other side of it. And so I think to the person who has the defeater belief of this is just hard. Well, so was a lot of other things that you've done in your life. So was walking. So yeah. When you first tried it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it is, there is a, a correlation between how difficult something is and how rewarding it is. For sure. Right? And the only way to get good at something difficult is by doing it. They say the 10,000-hour principle. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Yeah. But they say you don't become an expert at anything right. until you've done it. You put 10,000 hours in. Yeah. So until you've put 10,000 hours into public speaking, you're, not, you're probably not a great public speaker. Mm-hmm. 10,000 hours into accounting, bike riding, whatever it is, it's just... Whether it's swinging a hammer, 
whether it's, you know, mowing the grass, like yeah. you're not going to be good at something right away. Yeah. It can be knitting, it can be anything. And so the only way to get good at uh, studying scripture is by putting the time in. Yeah, I think Joel has brought up a, an important, maybe moral issue that we have here. And it may be that sometimes we'll say something is too difficult, but really, as you just pointed out, we're just don't want to put in the time and effort, yeah. that we're mm -hmm. too lazy. And this is worthy of our time to get on that bike, keep riding, keep falling down, get back up, keep mm -hmm. doing it until we get better and better at yeah. it. Yeah, there was, um, I think it was when we were, we were, we had pulled the carpet up in the basement at, or at, no, at the, in the lower level kids. And then there was this nasty tile underneath yeah. and half of it came up with the carpet and the other half was like glued down with some astronauts glue, dude. It just would not come up. And we were looking at it and we had like a lot, a lot to go. And most of our help had gone. Yeah. And it was the old, I looked at everybody and I was like, the only way you do this, the same way you eat an elephant. That's right. Like one bite at a time. Yeah. There's no, eat, and, and sometimes there's a freedom in that. There's no, because we're always looking for an easy way to do it. Yeah. And then once you come to the conclusion, okay, there's no easy way to do this. We're just going to have to sweat and yeah. swing and work hard and it's going to be slow and it's going to, it's going to suck, yeah. Yeah. but then it, it will get done if you just keep at it. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes, I mean, that's the way I look at Bible study sometimes. It's not, not that it's going to suck, but there's no easy way to do it. You've got to put your head down. You've got to do it. And then you're so incredibly proud of what you, you unearthed on the back end of it. Someone's like, man, that was profound. You're like, that was profound, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I had nothing when I went into right, it. Right, yeah, sure. Like, God gave me that, and man, that that was rewarding. And that's one of the things, you know, when I get up and preach, you know, I'm a pretty passionate person, and you, most people can, they can catch my enthusiasm for the text. And my enthusiasm is directly correlated to things I discovered in yeah, the text. Absolutely. Right, like, absolutely. And I'm like, I can't wait to tell people this because it was such good news for me, and that's because I put in hours of of study into that specific text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, it's too hard. In the words of Jocko Willink, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that too. Yeah. yeah. Good mm -hmm. because yeah. it needs to be, man. Yeah. It needs yeah. to be. So, what do you say to the the person that's like, I'm just not smart enough? I'm not smart enough. Okay, mm -hmm. that's a good one. I'm just not smart enough. Well, first thing I would say is, you're right. I'm not either. And man, like what does that mean even to be smart enough? Now, I know there's going to be some people that have mental disabilities that keep them from being able to study scripture. Mm -hmm. And if that's you, then then, you know, that's a, you know, you're you're providentially hindered from yeah. from studying the scripture, but there's some people who it's not that they're not smart enough. They just maybe have a learning disability and they need to listen to the Bible or, or some, yeah. you know, something like that and not, and they can't read it. But one of the things that I'm constantly reminded of is the, most of the guys that follow Jesus, most of the disciples, they're, they were fishermen, right? They weren't highly educated. Now you read the apostle Paul and you think, man, if I got to be as smart as Paul to understand scripture, well, we're all out of luck. Paul was, he was a genius. You know, he was sophisticated. He was highly educated, very intelligent. He could argue with the greatest philosophy philosophers of his day. Uh, he knew the old Testament scriptures in and out. Like he was a brilliant, he was a brilliant guy. Two things. Number one, he was that brilliant and he still missed Jesus. Mm. Okay. Like, like mm -hmm. Rob talked about last mm -hmm. week, yeah. 
Nicodemus still missed Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was smart. He was educated. He still missed Jesus. So intellectual horsepower isn't what brings all of the benefits and the blessings from scripture. It's a humble attitude. It's putting in the effort. It's prayer. It's God's spirit that brings it. Okay. Mm. But the scripture that I'm reminded of is in the book of Acts when Peter, you know, all the screw-ups Peter had, and Peter gets up and preaches, and people are blown away at, I guess, his, well, his power, his authority, mm-hmm. his, the fact that he he now preached like Jesus with authority, with, he, he, he you could tell he had um, pathos is the mm. term in rhetoric behind him. Mm. He had this, he had not only an emotion, but a commanding presence that he knew what he believed and his, his assurance was communicated to everybody else. And, and they did not say, oh my gosh, this guy is so intellectual. Mm. He's so smart. Mm -hmm. That's not what they said. It said when they saw their boldness and, and I think the power or authority which they communicated and that they were uneducated and unschooled men, they knew that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. Amen to that. They knew that they had been with Jesus. Yeah, that's great. So Jesus has a way of filling you with a courage and a confidence and a boldness that help helps you communicate the truth that he you know he 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 unveils to you mm-hmm. in your uh, study of scripture. Yeah, that's right. Great. I think almost it's an it's it's to your advantage to almost say I'm not smart enough because then you don't come in your own intellect you come with a humility you use the word humility I think it's a great word for reminding ourselves as we enter into scripture that's what God's looking for he's looking for individuals who are open and willing to receive whatever he brings to them through the Holy Spirit through the word of God in, into their lives so I think of when Jesus was saying you must become like children mm. there is this idea that children are absolutely dependent upon those over them to care for them and to give them what they need. And so I think we come to scripture with that kind of an attitude that says, Father, I am dependent upon you to speak to me through your word, um, you know, and humbly come come before them. I think it's actually, you, you, you could call that a defeater belief that I'm not smart enough. I'd say, oh, well, that's, that's good. Good for yeah. you. You're, yeah. you're actually coming in with the right attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because so a literary scholar, let's say somebody, a brilliant literary scholar, he comes to the text as an expert who perceives himself to be over the text. And he's studying the text and and how how can he come to the text and he doesn't see the connections he doesn't see the beauty he doesn't see the glory he doesn't see the brilliance because he he perceives himself to be over the text and he can study the text Mm. a christian comes to the text realizing that he's under the text that the text is as much reading him Mm. as he's reading the text the text is meant to be a mirror James says, where a man looks into it and sees his own face, and that face is usually dirty and sinful and broken and all kind of things. Whereas a literary scholar with his intellect and his high IQ, he comes and he thinks he's, you know, he's over and he's reading the text itself when, no, man, the, the text is meant to, to read us as much as we're meant to read the text. I think yeah. it's a, the, the beauty is those stories where someone who does come to the text acting as if they're over the text and what they didn't know is that the Holy Spirit was going to be working and bringing conversion into their <laughs> yeah. own very lives. Wasn't that C.S. Lewis's story somewhat? somewhat yeah, I'm yeah. not fully, but 
you know, there, there's the stories of those individuals who come to the text to think, I'm going to prove it wrong. Oh, yeah, And yeah, yeah. then it, <laughs> it proves them wrong. Oh, there's, there's lots of those. One of them was the guy, Lee Strobel, who wrote mm. The Case for Christ. Yeah. His wife had become a Christian, mm. and he was a a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, I think is what it was. He was in Chicago. I think it was the mm -hmm. Chicago Tribune. And he, this totally messed his life up. You know, they were up and they were, they were wealthy. They were successful people. And now his wife becomes a Christian. If you're moving in the upper echelons of society in liberal society at that in Chicago, the last thing you want is for your wife to become a Christian and a conservative. And then it's going to mess up all your social, social circle, circles and all the plan you have for your life. So he says, no, no, no. He goes on a quest to disprove the Bible and disprove Jesus um, in order to basically save his marriage. And it leads him on all, it leads him on a great discovery. He goes all the way to Israel. He goes to the, I mean, all over studying ancient texts and studying all this stuff. And exact, that exact same thing happens. He gets converted. Wow. Mm -hmm. He becomes a Christian. He, and then he writes a book called the case for Christ. And that was kind of his story about how he came to Christ. And it's one that I, I give, skeptics or seekers i've given a lot over over the years yeah mm. you think you mm. can master the text and then god you know graciously masters you yeah. mm. it's good yeah so good. yeah it's it's so it can be a good thing to think i'm not smart enough but hey i've seen people you know no i've seen people with no high school degree come to read understand learn grow and, and study the word now listen sometimes you think you're not good enough or you're not smart enough because you weren't good in school, right? Mm. I wasn't really good in school. Same. Until like my junior year of high school, I literally didn't care. School was a prison for me. And then I became more disciplined in my athletics and things, and then I, I cared. But I, I mean, I kind of cared. Mm -hmm. I was a B student, and I never did homework. Like, you know, and I cheated a lot. So <laughs> I cheated <laughs> off, off pretty girls at school most of the time. <laughs> um, but I just wasn't interested. So I, I assumed that I wasn't smart enough, mm -hmm. you know, and then the more you study them and then all of a sudden people were like, Hey, you, you actually have a pretty good handle on that. All right. Yeah. You're actually pretty good at that. You know? And I'd like, remember when I had no edge, I had no, I didn't, hadn't, didn't have my college degree yet. And a, a, a guy with a PhD in theology was like, man, your exegesis was awesome, man. You're really, and I was like, Oh, what's exegesis? Huh? No, I, <laughs> I, I knew what it was. I just didn't know, you know, yeah. but I didn't have the formal training. Yeah. Right. And then I went back and, and got the formal training. You think that's because a lot of people actually play the comparison game? Um, when they're always trying to compare themselves to someone else, a preacher or someone they know, yeah, and then they just well, we most of us grew up in the public school system, which has a the system of education. The goal of public school education from its very beginning was to train factory workers. Mm -hmm. That was its goal. It was during the Industrial Revolution, and they needed people with minimal education, with a little bit of specialization, that they could that they could work in factories. Okay, mm -hmm. and that. And we have this industrialized system of education that I'll just say is geared far more to uh, the feminine and the way, way ladies operate and not the way men operate. Most men, they, learn, they prefer to learn experientially. They want to learn a truth and then argue about it, right? They want to, or they want to practice it right away. Mm -hmm. They don't want to sit in rows for eight hours a day hmm. and be lectured to. Hmm. Yeah. That's why... What most men, you know, their favorite classes in high school are is gym, <laughs> yeah. right? Gym, shop class, you know, mm. some whatever these these types of uh, these types of classes. So sometimes we're just because we didn't fit in that that educational mold, we assume 
that we're not good learners. Mm. But then you, you take, take a guy like that and then he learns complex plumbing or mm. complex electrical or complex, mm -hmm. you know, he's got to do crazy math to be able to, like I hated math, I was not good at math. And in order to, to frame a roof, I had to be really good at geometry, mm -hmm. right? Like it's all geometry when I got up on, uh, got up on a roof. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I learned it. And I, I forced to, to learn it on the job site because I had to build, I had to build a roof. And you've right? seen the why of learning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a it, lot of people don't know the why. So they're just like, there's no point of this. I don't care about this equation on the, yeah, but yeah. I have to build a roof. I got to get this yeah. money. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe you just don't understand how you learn. Right. And you need to learn, you need to figure out how you learn for mm -hmm. me. Again, I've said this many times, but a cup of coffee changes my life. Mm -hmm. The time of day changes my life, yeah. right? I can't learn hardly anything after lunch. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't learn much after lunch. But before lunch, man, I, I, I'm just like an empty cup that gets filled up, mm -hmm. and then I pour it out the rest of the day. Yeah. So sometimes it's just learning how you learn and leaning into that, whether it's books or audiobooks or digital books or maybe you got to highlight, maybe you got to take notes, um, you know, all, all kind of things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. So kind of just like uh, how the fast pace of our everyday life in the world and everything's always going and going and going. A lot of people always say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time is, is, has got to be, at least in the last, <clears throat> you know, 20, 30 years, one, if not, maybe the number one defeater belief, number one excuse people say of why they don't study the Bible or read the Bible, I don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. But it's also the, um, <clears throat> the simplest one to answer. Yes, it is. Mm. Because I only have 24 hours in a day. And I, Rob, did you get any extra today? It, not today. No, <laughs> not today. Okay. Still, I only had 24 hours as well. You, Joel? No. Yeah. Same. Well, <laughs> man. Shoot. Yeah. So guess what, guys? We all have the same amount of time, and we're all commanded. <clears throat> I think the Apostle Paul is the one who says it to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Yeah. Um, and I remember one, I don't remember who it was who first told it to me, but it was, it's usually true. And they say, if you don't have enough, they go, everybody has enough time. You just slept through it this morning. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you just slept through it this morning. Um, and that's not universally true. And, and we can get to, you know, I know if you've got kids waking you up in the middle of the night, that's, you know, a unique situation, but we all have the same amount of time and we do what's important to us. You know, I've never said I didn't have enough time. Well, yeah, I have said this, but I didn't have enough time to eat. You know, right. I, that's, I probably missed a meal, but I've never missed, you know, three in a row. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like I didn't have, I just didn't have enough time today to eat or drink anything like mm. maybe one day, but the next day, you better believe I'm eating and drinking. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. <clears throat> and this is why Jesus specifically says that you need to eat his body. You need to drink his blood, his, that his word is food for us. His mm -hmm. word is sustenance. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth, mouth of the Father. We need to have that kind of mentality when it comes to the word of God. Um, guys that are really serious about working out, they work out every day or they work out three times a week. They don't miss their workouts. We right. don't miss... We don't miss showers. We don't miss. We don't miss sleep. Yeah. And why? It's like <clears throat> because that's what they value. Because if, if you value if you value something enough, you will make time for it. Yeah. Um, 
there's just no getting around that. And so sometimes I think we don't know what we va- what we're actually showing we value. I mean, I'm, the easy, the low hanging fruit is check the time on your phone. Like how much did you, how much time did you spend on YouTube, Facebook this week? You mm-hmm. know, when that, when you get that time notification at the end of the week, you spent, you know, umpteen hours every day on your phones. Like, unless that was on your Bible app, some of that, you know, it's, um, there is time, you know, that is time. Yeah. A, a phrase that's been used lately. Sometimes it's, it's a lack of creating a structure and a plan for your life mm. because some people, <clears throat> they let life come to them and they react to the life and the circumstances that come to them instead of proactive, proactively planning and structuring their day and making their life kind of fit around their structure. Mm. And if you don't approach your life that way, there you will always be at the mercy of what's been called the tyranny of the urgent, mm-hmm. the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah. Um, like right now, I have, I've been over at the building all week long. Rob's preaching for me this week. I've been over at the building all week long and there is all kinds of things that I have to do over there that need to get done. And yet at two o'clock today, I had, I had to record a podcast. Yeah. And so that, that, that's a plan, right? I do that. I do this not because I want to talk for half an hour or an hour or whatever. I do this because I want to feed the sheep. I want our people to, to learn how to study their Bible, to learn things from the word of God. And so I've made a priority to put it in my calendar and no matter what's going on, you know, we very rarely cancel. We're going to record. And it's not because, man, I had nothing better to do today or it just came up. You know, I just feel like I need to talk today for an hour. It was because I planned it and put it in the calendar and we structure our day around that. Well, the same goes for studying the word of God, right? We all have the same amount of time and you've got to see it as a priority and then plan it. And we've talked about it. Sometimes that means planning it the night before, Um, you know, putting it on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, you get your planner out or you get your phone out and you say, I'm going to study the Bible this day at this time. And then when somebody texts you and says, Hey, you want to get coffee that day at that time, you say, Nope, I have a meeting. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that like you do, you have a meeting. The meeting is with Jesus. Put Jesus on your calendar, Mm -hmm. literally put Jesus on your calendar. I, I learned this from Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson would write in his calendar, meeting with C.S. Lewis, meeting with St. Augustine, meeting with John Calvin. He would put that in his calendar because what naturally happens as a pastor is parishioners call you, parishioners email you now, parishioners text you. Hey, can you get coffee? Hey, can we meet? Hey, can we do this? And a pastor who cares about his people naturally wants to say yes to every one of those. I I want to, anytime somebody texts me, calls me, emails me, I want to say yes because I genuinely do want to meet with them. I do want to hear what's going on in their life. I want to catch up. I want to do all those things. And and one of the downsides of the pastorate is that people can say, if if you say yes to all those meetings, you're effectively saying no to C.S. Lewis, no to John Calvin, no to Jesus. Yeah. Because your, your calendar is like a black hole, mm-hmm. right? It just will swallow up whatever, whatever you give it, but you'll, then you won't have any time left over 
for what's really important. Mm. So you have to schedule your priorities. You have to prioritize what's most important. You have to schedule it. And then when someone says, now listen, if somebody's in the hospital and they call me, I'll cancel my meeting with C.S. Lewis, okay? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I will. But <clears throat> I have to put those times in my calendar to prioritize it or the urgent thing. And an urgent thing isn't necessarily a priority. It's not necessarily what's most important. It's just the squeaky wheel, right? It's mm -hmm. just a thing that needs attention right now. And one of the things I've noticed as I've done this, half the times, if you can't respond to the urgent thing, somebody else takes care of it. Yeah. You know, like <clears throat> lots of people text me or call me or whatever, and they're asking me a question that someone else could actually answer, but they're just going to me because it's convenient or whatever. And if I'm studying or something and I don't, I don't respond to it because I'm studying and I'm, I'm reading and whatever, I'll text them an hour, two hours, three hours later. Oh yeah, I got to figure it out. You know, they just texted me because, but if, it, if I was going off of the urgent, I would be responding to that text yeah. message and that takes my attention away from my study, distracts me and it becomes really difficult. Yeah, so determine what's a priority for you and then schedule your priorities and make everything else work around that. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I think I've heard it said very simply, if you don't plan plan for the day, the day will plan for you. Yeah. Or if you don't plan for your year, it, somebody else will plan it for you. So yeah. that's it. better take control. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we, um, as we kind of move forward, as we look into this, um, God says be fruitful and multiply, right? So then we... Before you know it, we have all these kids, um, but some people are saying that the kids keep getting in the way, the kids keep interrupting. Um, how can we help love, love on them? Rob, what do you think? Well, uh, reflecting back a little bit about how I kind of managed, uh, I have four children at one point where they were all in the home and uh, trying to work, work around their realities, their urgencies, because there are a lot of urgency things. I think this is what we're going back to. We're going back to things about being urgent. Uh, I tried to create an understanding of when I could be I could be interrupted and when I wouldn't be interrupted, and it would be actually a place. So if they knew I was in a particular place in our home, that was typically the place that says, "You don't interrupt me." Yeah, it ha it has to be you know if your arm's falling off, okay, interrupt me. Yeah, so, yeah. so there's this, there are these <laughs> urgent moments, yes, yeah, and, sure. and that did happen a few times, but for the most part. I established with my children a, a place in the home where they knew that if I was sitting in that particular place or in that particular room, and typically I would close the door, if they were in that particular room, they knew that I wasn't be, to be disturbed, nor were they to be uh, disruptive loud enough that I could actually hear them. Mm -hmm. And it only took a few times for them to do that, for me to come out of that room and for them to realize maybe that's not a good idea after all. Yeah. It's just a little bit of disciplining them in mm -hmm. terms of teaching them how to be disciplined as children in their play um so that's yeah i just kind of created a space that was my space well again this one kind of ties back in the the best bet most of the time is to wake up before they're up and do it before they're up now i know that there are some kids that are really light sleepers i know joel you've got really light sleepers that's really difficult to to, to do but most of the time wake them or beat them up wake up first mm -hmm. if you wake up first and you do it you know i think that's the the easiest thing or if you got really you know early risers and now and you're a night person then you can do it after they go to bed 
right? I can't do it after yeah. they go to bed. I got to wake up early and get it done um, then. And then the second thing I would say <clears throat> is if you're a, like, if you're a stay at home mom and let's say your kids get up too early and you can't do it and then you know, the kids are loud nap time. I know a lot of moms, you know, they want to sit down and veg out. They want to watch a TV show. They want to try to take a nap. Maybe, maybe that's fine, but, but maybe you do your Bible time when the, when the baby takes a nap, when the yeah. kids take a nap, yeah. you know, or, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to schedule an hour or two away each week at the coffee shop and you put your headphones in and you go to a coffee shop or the library or a quiet place. There's plenty of space at, at the church, you know, in our offices and our new building, there's gonna be plenty of space. You want to come up and have a quiet space to study scripture. You can do it at the church, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That might require you to get a babysitter. That might require you to, to organize with your husband and say, I really tell your husband, I really want an hour or two a week where I can study scripture. Um, could you watch the kids on Friday from two to four or whatever, or Saturday, yep. you know, and, and moms don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel guilty about it. Um, don't feel guilty about asking. It's, it's important for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things that Tamara and I did is, uh, as we had our children at that, those particular ages that we tried to really work hard at helping each other out. So in other words, it's the very thing that you just said, which is simply to create uh, a time for my wife, for her to study, and I, knowing that that's what she wanted to do, I always said, okay, then that's, I also wrote that in as my time in my week of watching the kids to make sure that she got that opportunity. And it did take her many times to have to leave the house to actually get that accomplished rather than be in the house. So, um, yeah, so I think it's, it's can be a partnership um, if you, you can possibly make that partnership in terms of you have a, a spouse to help you, then that's a, a, a powerful way of getting it done. Yeah. yeah. Joe, you got anything on that? I know you got early risers, and it, it yeah, was I mean, difficult. I think, you, I think you hit it on the head. I know it can be a frustration. Well, we mentioned it last podcast, but because of this very reason, well, number one, I'm not a morning person necessarily, um, but because I get particularly frustrated if I get interrupted, I just moved my devotional time to the night. I have the benefit of a quiet office, you know, where I can. You know, but but in terms of my own just personal study, that has nothing to do with anybody but me and Jesus. Like I I try and do that at night when the kids are asleep. Julia, I would say fifty percent of the time that gets interrupted, and then I think it's just a shaping of expectations. And as they get older, and you know, Henry, our our littlest one, he's eighteen months. He can't understand. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing wrong. You know, and so. But as they get older, it is. It's it's just. Um, showing them that, hey, this is a valued time where we're spending with Jesus. We want you to have this time. So I know like as, as Judah, our oldest, he's eight, as he gets older, it's kind of even inviting him, hey, if you're going to get up early, you can go grab a book and read or, hey, like you can mm -hmm. go grab your Bible or, yep. but this that's is good. a quiet time. Yeah, that's good. Um, the TV doesn't turn on correct. until right. 10 a.m. or correct. 9 a.m. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And so just instilling that value of kind of like we want to, we, the goal is to start our days with Jesus, you know, um, and get that even into them so yeah i've heard some parents that have see i i don't have early risers so uh, like i've never javin kind of woke up early but he was a pretty quiet kid and didn't interrupt but uh i've heard a lot of parents that just said okay if you get up at 6 a.m you have to stay in your room until 7 a.m right. like mm -hmm. no one can come out of their room 
until 7 a.m. Or no yeah. one can come out of the room until 8 a.m., whatever the, whatever the time is. And so in their room, they've got books and they've got pictures that they can color and they've got crafts and stuff they can do. And But unless it's an emergency, if you wake up before 7, you don't come out of your room, right? Yeah. And uh, and because mom's having her quiet time or dad's having his quiet time or, or whatever it is, you can set those parameters. There's nothing wrong with that, yeah, right? So you guys think of any other defeaters that, that keep people, common beliefs, faulty beliefs that keep people from, from studying the scriptures? I think initially when, when this started, I, I, I was thinking, and we'd be talking in terms of like presuppositions or biblical hermeneutics like basically what, wow what, two big words yes Joel what do you basically what, what are you bringing you know what are you bringing to the text on top of it that's like almost a lens that you're seeing it through and i think we can bring or i know i can bring sort of the lens or the presupposition of i have to get something out of this and it, this needs to be practically helpful for my day and i would say maybe again 50 maybe more like 75% of the time when you're doing a devotional time, it, you might not. And if you, but if you bring, so over time, that's going to prove to you, ah, the Bible isn't valuable in and of itself. Like this building of my relationship with Jesus, hearing from God, just submitting to the practice of doing it. Um, it can, if, if I bring that presupposition to it, that I have to get something out of this. I don't have the, t again, it kind of plays into all of it. Cause then I don't have the time. My kids are about to wake up. This needs to be, lights out every single time man um that i think is something that feels common to me to bring to it and then it can be a defeater belief like i'm just not even going to do it then and that could go for a week or a whole season until you realize that everything else fades away and the word, the word of the lord is the only thing that lasts forever so it's like i i think there's something valuable even if i don't understand in the moment what it is yeah. that i got out of it i would say that that is you have to be able to see that as a defeater belief and as an incredibly unhelpful and unhealthy thought yeah. period, mm -hmm. because in, if you bring that same thought to other aspects of your life, yes, you will ruin your life. I don't have, I don't need to have date nights with my wife. When was the last time I got something out of it? Yeah. I don't need to take my kids out on dates. And when was the last time I got something out of that? Yeah. We don't need it. I mean, you, you can go on to vacations. You can go yeah. on so many things that are just enjoyable for their own sake. Even like, what, like, I don't know if I really got something out of that. Like we don't do things just because we get something out of it. We do things because God tells us to do things. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't, we're not smart enough to know what we need most of the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. People that live with that pragmatic, that's a pragmatic mindset that I must understand what I need from this. And then I must you know, it must meet my expectations. Yes. And if it doesn't, then I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't take the Lord's Supper then. Yeah. Right. Because I don't I, understand that. I don't right. know why I need that. No. I wouldn't come to the Sunday gathering most yeah. of the time. I wouldn't, you know, yeah. I wouldn't serve the poor. I would, I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of any of those things, mm -hmm. right? Necessarily. And yet God commands me. First off, God made me. God knows exactly the intricacies, the purpose the telos of why he made me, he knows what I'm for, he knows what I need, and then he tells me, here, do this. I'm like, oh, okay, you're yeah. you're way more smarter than I am, right? You're, yeah. you're omniscient. And then when I look back on my life, a lot of times in the rear view, I can see, whoa, okay, 
I guess it's been doing something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess right. I guess it's had an effect on me. And it's usually when somebody goes, "Dude, I've never heard that before from the text." Or, yeah. "Man, when you, the way that you expound the scripture, it blows my mind." When you're talking about narratives and you make it really plain in everyday language, and you're so good at that. And I'm like, "Yeah, really?" Or you're sitting it just, in, because yeah. I, I've been doing it for so long. And now it seems easy for me. It seems mm -hmm. natural for me. It seems normal. And and I don't even realize how far I've come. Yeah. Right? I don't even realize how far I've come because it's yeah. the, the growth day after day is like negligible. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even notice the growth mm -hmm. of your, the scriptures becoming more and more um, cohesive more and more understandable. You're picking up connections where you never thought you would pick them up before. You know, I'm reading Jeremiah right now and Jeremiah is coming alive to me. Yeah. And Jeremiah has always been like a riddle wrapped in enigma, <laughs> you know, like it's just been like, what? And now all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I'm making all of these kind of connections. It's been 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've been reading the Bible, you know, at least once a year, every year for 20 years. Yeah. So you don't see the change but the change is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like you never ate a meal and went, I'm pretty sure I just built yeah. some biceps right there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I just got stronger. Right. But it's meal after meal after meal after meal after meal, workout after workout after workout after workout, and then you're fit. And mm -hmm. or, you know, you you you're who you are. Yeah. Right. You don't notice, you don't look back and go, man, that one meal, that really did it. Yeah. I think it's a failure to understand, too, what the scriptures say about the scriptures, like what they are. And so when you realize that it's not just this lifeless book, but that it's living and active, and that it's a, it's, you don't want to come with an overly self-centered piece of it, because we're also called to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor. And so I think so, there's been times for sure where I was like, I don't know what I'm getting out of this psalm. Yeah, I don't know what I'm getting you know, what, out of this for me, for my day. But then I go sit in Fight Club or I'm in Mitchell Community and I'm like, this text would have not come to my mind had I not read it this week or a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, where, where was that? And it was the exact thing that needed that, that, I, that we needed in this counseling situation wherever it was. And that had nothing for me, but it was for somebody else, yep. you know. Um, so that's how it's like, you know, that's one way it's living and active. It's, 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 it's not dead, you know. It's, it's something you're meant to engage and use in other people's life and their discipleship, too. And I think so it, it's uh, also we don't understand how God transforms mm. us in the sense that we think we it's it's about us doing a particular activities and those activities will somehow transform us, but rather that He has made us worshipers and we will worship whatever we think is most glorious. And I was thinking about when Paul says in in the second letter to the Corinthians that we have, he he says we are beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, there's many times when you're in Scripture, and that's all you're beholding. You're just beholding yeah. the glory of our God, of the Almighty God of the universe. You're you're beholding the glory of His Son and what His Son has done. And you're like, well, what do I'm what am I going to get out of this? I mean, how's this going to help me in any way? But then it goes on. He says you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this is the very thing that you were saying in terms of, uh, Justin, that you were saying in terms of, you know, it's one small little incremental movement forward every day doesn't seem like anything is happening. 
But as we are increasingly seeing the glory of God slowly over time, something's happening to us. So that then we say, uh, he he goes, we are being being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory Mm -hmm. to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit is taking his word and doing something in us in terms of helping us see the glory of God in such a way that even in the moment we don't get it. But over time, we start getting it more and more. And what do we do? We become like that which we worship. That's mm-hmm. good. And so there's a great transformation that occurs, and it's just being by being in God's Word. It's mm. good. That's great. So good. Okay, well, hopefully, this has been a blessing to you. We hope it is. Um, if this stirred up any questions in you, you got any more defeater beliefs, you say, Justin, I just don't, I can't study scripture because fill in the blank. Uh, email me, Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. We'd love to answer those questions. We want to be a blessing to you. If this podcast does help you in any way, please share it, um, subscribe, and let other people know about it. We uh, love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Talk to you soon. <laughs>